Welcome to the Adventist Church of the Woodlands podcast, where you will find sermons, devotional thoughts, and current event conversations, all based on a biblical worldview. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. I hope you all see the time. It's 1141, 42, okay? We've got a lot of stuff to go through. Hang on. Good morning, church family. Happy Sabbath. There is no place that I'd rather be on a Sabbath morning in the house of God, right? You know, for me, all week we have, I'm associated with people that don't believe like I do, or some don't believe at all. So when Sabbath comes, it's refreshing to be in a place where you have people that believe like you do. Amen? When we started this series, Pastor Gio, said we're not going to, when we started going through the back of the book of Daniel, he said we're not going to go too deep into the prophecies as far as dates and times. We're going to be looking more at how God used people and how God will go to any extent to save us. And um, as we've gone through Daniel, we've, we've seen, we've seen that just about in every chapter. So today we are going to be looking at Daniel chapter 11. I've had people telling me, um, we're going to pray for you because this is a tough chapter. I've had uh, people that are very um, Bible-based and they have said, you know, Daniel 11 is one of the hardest chapters. It covers a long time. It covers from 538 uh, BC until today. This prophecy keeps going. So I have never done a sermon that I've done this much research on. I did so much research that I was confused. <laughs> I didn't know where to start. I didn't know where to end it. My wife laughs about it because it's true. I did a lot of research and um, man, I just got a stack of stuff. So that's why I said, um, be prepared. We got a long, long way to go from Daniel until now. I'm, I'm not serious. Don't get scared. <laughs> We're going to try to keep it to 30 or 35 minutes at most. But before we um, get started this morning, I'd like to stop another quick word for our kind and great God. What a privilege we have to know God that cares about us cared so much about us that when Daniel was alive you laid out in detail what we should look forward to so we can be prepared because you want us to be prepared so you can save us you want us in your kingdom and Lord this morning as we just take a brief look at this time prophecy we ask that you would help us each one realize where we are today. And Lord, I ask that you would use me as your vessel today. That what I say today will be what you want to be said. And not what I want to say. I pray this in Jesus' name. Before we get started into Daniel, if you all have your Bibles with you, I would like you to look at Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Some of you might know what it says because it's a pretty famous text. Amos chapter 3 and verse 7. Okay, Amos 3, 7. 
Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. Do you all believe that? you all need to believe that? God doesn't do anything unless he reveals it. And that's why we have the prophecies of Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Daniel, Revelation. The Bible is filled with prophecies that God wants us to understand and believe because he wants us to know where we are. This morning, I'd like to extract three things from Daniel 7. I would like us to recognize that God's word is true, can be trusted. I would like us to recognize that God has a plan. He doesn't work willy-nilly. We think, well, maybe because this didn't work, then God will do this. God has a plan, and he had it from he created mankind all the way down to today. And number three, God loves you and wants to save you. Amen? Amen. The book of Daniel is one of the most challenging, inspiring, prophetic, faith-building, and believable books. Why? It inspires us because we see how ordinary people can do great things with God's help. We think of Daniel and his three friends. Uh, it makes us stronger. Why? Because we have seen most of the prophecies of Daniel fulfilled. That should make us stronger. And we know that God's word is true because of that. Believe it or not, we have the Seventh-day Adventist Church today because of the book of Daniel and Revelation. I'm sure God could have used some other method, but he used Daniel and Revelation to start the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Believe it or not? Pastor Jim, you're here, right? I notice all the elders deserted me today. You keep track of me, and if I go astray, you tell me, okay? Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, Seventh-day Adventist Church is founded on the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation. Daniel chapter 11 still has a lot of debate about it, even today. Even today. Fairly recently, uh, a bunch of theologians and professors met up in Berrien Springs at Andrews just to discuss this chapter. The King of the North and the King of the South. We know we have identified exactly who the King of the North is, but we're still trying to pinpoint exactly who the King of the South is. And that still causes a bunch of discussion, and not just within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. As I said, I did some research this past week, and uh, most of the other denominations still struggle with exactly who the king of the south is. So, to get the big picture of this all, we have to understand Daniel 2, Daniel 7. You all remember Daniel 2 is a dream with Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Daniel's uh, revealing to Nebuchadnezzar what the dream was about. Daniel 7, the beast, Daniel 8, the vision, and Gabriel's interpretation, and then Gabriel telling Daniel, close up the book, 
for there are many more days to come. Last week, Pastor Gio did an excellent job on chapter 10. Those of you that are here, do you agree? <clears throat> because he explained to us how when the angel came back to Daniel to explain to Daniel the rest of the story, Daniel was in so much shock and awe <laughs> that he never ate for three whole weeks. Y'all remember that? I don't know if any one of us here can do that, but I know we all should be in shock and awe. Um, I want us just to flip back to that for just a moment. Uh, Daniel 10, uh, Daniel chapter 10, and um, just see exactly where uh, verse 14, I think it is. Daniel 10, 14, uh, it says, now, and this is the angel speaking to uh, Daniel, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people. And I underline the word your, and I hope you all will catch this. Your people. Who is Daniel's people? You're talking to Daniel. Who is Daniel's people? The Jewish nation, the Hebrews. Who is Daniel's people today? I, I like an interactive church. Okay, so who is Daniel's people today? The Seventh-day Adventist church. So he was explaining to Daniel who to your people. And I want to emphasize that. Your people. <clears throat> Let me read the whole context again. Now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. Are we in the latter days? Yes. For the vision refers to many days yet to come. Angel is explaining what is going to happen to the Seventh-day Adventist Church, to you and I, in the latter days, the days that we are. And I want to read verse 21 <clears throat> in the same chapter, Daniel 10. But I will tell you what is noted in the scripture of truth. No one opposes me against these except Michael, your prince. Who is your prince? Michael. Who is Michael? Pastor Jill, you got to do Daniel 10 again. Anyway, I just wanted us to get that background. Angel is here explaining to Daniel what is going to happen in the latter days. Now, we'll move into Daniel chapter 1. Chapter 1 starts by saying that the iris is king of the knees. If you would turn with me there, we're going to read verses 1 and 2. I promise you, Daniel chapter 11 is the second longest chapter in the Bible, in, in the in book of Daniel. So we won't read up every verse. We're going to skip by some of them. But, some of, but uh, Daniel 1 starts with, Also in the first year of Darius need, I, Daniel, even I stood up to confirm and strengthen him. And now I will tell you the truth. Behold, three more kings will arise in Persia, and the fourth shall be richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir up all against the realm of Greece. We started out <coughs> sorry, with a head of gold. We moved on down to the Medo-Persian Empire, and this is where Daniel starts filling us in. And then we have this king that is mighty and is going to stir up. And who is he going to stir up? Greece. Okay. 
we look, we, 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 I, I put that up there because I just kind of want us to follow ahead. Follow along. The kingdom of Babylon has fallen. Darius the Mede is a king of uh, the Medo-Persia Empire. The next three kings, and these names, I'm going to mess them up, but I'm going to try because I think, maybe you all remember the sermon because I messed up the names so bad. Cambassi, and the Iris. Those were the next kings. The fourth shall be richer than them all, as we see in verse 2. And who was that fourth? Xerxes, also referred to in Esther as, as Ahavius. Now we have the first king of Greece on the scene, and we read in verses 3 and 4, Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion, and do according to his will. And when he is arisen, his kingdom shall be broken up and divided toward the four winds of heaven, but not among his posterity, nor according to his dominion, with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be uprooted, even for others besides these. Okay, I'll get in the picture here. Don't let it get too heavy, but uh, get the picture. The angel skips down past the rest of the Persian kings and down to the mighty king of Greece. He comes on the scene, which is Alexander the Great. We all have heard of Alexander the Great, right? Yeah. Modern day prophecy, I mean, history speaks of Alexander the Great. We know we're on track here. Now he is the great king. Now Alexander had, he's the first king of the empire. And it speaks of the four winds, which represents his four generals and the, uh, the divided empire. Four generals were uh, set up in his kingdom, but none of these generals were part of his family. And that's kind of something strange because generally the kings, uh, it's always a family affair, you know. We see what just happened in England recently. When a king has, they pass it on to their posterity. But no, there were four generals, Cassandra, Lysmachus, Seleucus, and Ptolemy. Seleucus was the king of the north, and king of the south. Here now, we're starting to hear about kings of the north and kings of the south. We'll uh, jump on down to verse five, and it says, after years of fighting between these generals, the four generals were reduced to two. The Sisyphus defeated Cassandra, and Seleucus defeated the uh, Sisyphus. And they become the king of the north, the great dominion, having acquired all the territory of Cassandra, and Ptolemy retains the territory for the king of the south, down in Egypt. After many more years of fighting, we see this in verse six, as I said, we're gonna fast forward on here. After many more years of fighting between the north uh, and the south, their respective descendants made a pact that they were gonna to try to make peace and bring it all together. Did it happen? No, we see in verse nine, that uh, the Ptolemy, king of the south, defeats Lysias, king of the north, carries away great treasure of gold and silver back into Egypt. This didn't sit well 
the king of the north. And after the new king of the north, Antius Magnus, had regained some territory, the king of uh, the king of the south, Ptolemy, is moved with anger and gathers an army of approximately seventy-five thousand men and elephants, and uh, you name it. He went to attack them. After verse twelve, uh, Ptolemy uh, defeated Antius Magnus. His heart was lifted up. He visited Jerusalem, which was right in the middle, and, and attempted to enter the holy city, but with was with difficulty restrained. Then we see a new power arising in verse 14. And I'm going to read verse 14 here, if you would with me. And in those days, <clears throat> many shall arise up against the king of the south. Also certain violent men of your people shall exalt themselves in fulfillment of the vision. So now we have a new power in the north. And um, they're going to go after and try to uh, regain the South. The note says here, a new power is also introduced in Proverbs 14. It's referred to as the robbers of thy people. Legend has it that Rome was founded on uh, Romulus and Remus in the days when Isaiah began to prophesy. Then Rome was founded. It was said to be the home of the band of robbers and outlaws. We know that Rome became a very great kingdom. It was Rome designated by the angel of prophecy to become the robbers of thy people. That selfishly, with ulterior motives, came to the aid of the child of the king of Egypt. Rome did indeed exalt themselves to establish a vision <laughs> Of, uh, that we see in verse 14, that is by sending General Scopas with his army and troops to defend Egypt, but they fell. We're going to fast forward for quite a while here now, uh, because what goes on is just quite a bit of fighting going on between the north and the south. The north keeps having going into the south and ravaging them, and it happens again. It is very important that we understand what has transpired thus far. The original territory designated by Daniel, by the angel, and we see this in Daniel 11.6, as the territory of the king of the north, of which Seleucus I was the first king, was conquered and made a Roman province. Consequently, Pagan Rome now becomes the new geographical king of the north, which devours the whole earth. Pagan Rome, and we, we know of this from the time of Jesus, how strong Rome was, and that's another sermon that we can get into. Um, one, of the, one other fact should be mentioned at this point in our study. The geographical king of the south, which was Egypt, has not yet been subdued by the new king of the north. This does not happen until September 231 BC at the naval battle of Actium, which is also recorded in history, and um, I can give you references to that later. At this time in history, Egypt is the only country that is not yet occupied by Rome. 
A division develops between the general Pompey and Julius Caesar, which results in a civil war. So here we go. Seems like we're getting to the final showdown. A decisive battle was fought near the Nile by the fleet of Egypt and Rome, resulting in a complete victory for Caesar. Caesar, king of Rome. <clears throat> Ptolemy, attempting to escape, was drowned in the river. Alexandria and all Egypt then submitted to the victor. And um, as I said, I think one of these days we'll have to go into another sermon that talks about the Roman Empire, pagan Rome, and um, how it, um, it just developed into taking over the entire world. Strong power, extremely strong and powerful. I'd like to stop just right here in the middle and ask us to look at another text because this brings up the point that I've tried to bring out. It says in John 14, 29, if you look there with me again in John 14, verse 29, Jesus says, I tell you before it comes to pass that when it is come to pass, you might believe. The sure word of prophecy tells us without a doubt that the end of all things is at hand and that we need to get ready. That's what God wants us to understand. That's why we have this book. It's full of guidelines, instructions, telling us that we need to be ready because God wants to save us. He has a people. Daniel's people that he wants to save. Um, Rome was referred to as a raiser of taxes. With the death of Julius Caesar, two men ascended to the throne in Rome as co-emperors, as follows Mark Anthony and Augustus Octavia. It is believed by historians that Anthony probably would have become the dominant player in Rome had he not lost his head and his heart to the bewitching power of Cleopatra, Cleopatra. I, knew, I I've mentioned these things, these some of these names, because they're familiar to us. We have heard about Cleopatra. I think there's some movie. Is there? My daughter's over here. Is there a movie that has something about Cleopatra? Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned it. So we see where God's word ties up exactly with history. It does not take much discussion on this point in history plainly to tell us that the next emperor of Rome, Tiberius Caesar, was so vile that the citizens of Rome celebrated when he died. You see Queen Elizabeth dying the other day. They had a celebration, but it was a celebration of loss. This was a celebration of men. We're glad you're gone off the scene. History also records the fact that Tiberius obtained the throne by flattery and deception for it was not the original intent of Augustus Caesar. Please keep in mind, um, as we continue, that God has provided us with a foundational template in Daniel 2, 7 and 8. Moving forward, and this is where it gets critical, and I want us to pay close attention, because this is where we can start to identify who the new king of the north is verse 31, 11 and verse 31. And I'm just going to read a little bit here and a little bit there. 
Forces shall be mustered by him and shall defile the sanctuary fortress. Defile the sanctuary fortress. They shall take away the daily sacrifice and place there the abomination of desolation. Those who do wickedly against the covenant, he shall corrupt with flattery. But the people who know their God shall be strong and carry out great exploits. I want us to um, just see if we can identify who these verses are talking about. In those days of the people who, uh, I'm sorry, I'm going to skip down to verse uh, 36. It says, then the king shall do according to his own will. He shall exalt, magnify himself above every god, shall speak blasphemy against the god of gods, shall prosper till the wrath has been accomplished, for what has been determined shall be done. Listen on. He shall regard neither God, the god of his fathers, nor the desire for women. Pope doesn't marry, does he? I didn't realize this until this week when I studied this. The Bible actually talks about that. Doesn't have regard for women. Uh, but in their place he shall honor a God of fortress and a God which his fathers did not know. He shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and pleasant things. Thus he shall act against the strongest fortress and foreign gods, which, shall he, which he shall acknowledge and advance his glory, and he shall cause them to rule over many and divide the land for gain. We're gonna stop there for right now. Um, Revelation speaks about the dragon, the power was given by the dragon. Verse 31 through 39, which we just read, and the dragon gave his power and seat and authority. That's referenced in Revelation 13.3. Which brings us to a new phase of the empire. We move from pagan Rome, which had dominion over the whole earth at that time, the known world, <clears throat> to a new form of the papal phase. From a pagan king of the north to a religious political king of the north. The Catholic Church was and still is a union of paganism and Christianity. It has a heart clothed with Christian garb. We are now talking about a new form of government. This gets kind of hard sometimes. Uh, verses 32 to 35 we, we just read tells of the daring exploits of the Bible-believing Christians to practice and obey and teach the pure faith during those 1260 years that the Catholic Church dominated the world. It also tells us of the suffering, persecution, and, pers and prosecution of over 50 to 100 million people at the hands of the Catholic Church, of which history accurately testifies. That can be found in the in the Fox Book of Martyrs. It is a good source for history. Verses 36 to 39 tell us of the liberties this power took in destroying the Bible and making claims to be the God of Earth. Most, I moved over here, and I hope you all can see, 
Most Bible scholars, including many Protestant reformers, believe that this beast represents the Roman Catholic Church. The exact number of Christians murdered for their faith during the Middle Ages is unknown, but most historians agree that at least 50 million were slaughtered and many more were for forced to flee for their lives. For over 1,200 years, the Roman Catholic Church persecuted killed Christians who would not agree with them, with the Roman Catholic Church tradition and style of worship. William Tyndale, name that should be familiar to us, first person to translate the Bible into English, in 1536 was charged with heresy and burnt alive. What was his sin? He translated the Bible into English. Like him, many others were tortured, imprisoned, and killed. We see Peter Waldo and Waldensians had to hide for a long while. The prophetic time, times, and half a time, 42 months, and 1260 days are all the same time period, written in different forms. If you take 42 months, multiply that by 30 days, you'll get 1260 days, which is also same time prophecy. These are referred to in Daniel 7.25, Daniel 12.7, and Revelation 12.6. In Bible prophecy, a day equals one year. The text we use for that most of the time is Ezekiel 4.6, but it's also mentioned in Numbers 14.34. One day refers to a year in prophecy. Hence, 1260 years of dominant rule by the Roman Catholic Church. If you didn't agree with me, you die. The Roman Catholic supremacy started in 538 AD when Emperor Justina gave the Pope the title Pontiff Maximus, which means bridge builder between heaven and earth. Who is the bridge builder between heaven and earth for us? Jesus and establish the papacy as a supreme Christian power. All of this abruptly ended 1260 years after, do some math later, in 1798, when Napoleon's army took Pope Pius VI captive. Weeks later, he died. That is exactly 1260 years. God's word never fails. Amen. Andrew? However, the prophecy says that that deadly wound would be healed. Revelation 13.3 speaks about this. And sure enough, in 1929, Mussolini agreed to return the papal see and power. Since then, the Vatican became a political and religious power. Since then, the Vatican became a political and religious power without precedence. In 1982, and I'm sure a lot of us here was born, was alive in 1982, the United States sent an ambassador, ambassador to the Vatican and announced full diplomatic relations with the Holy Set. 1929, this country endorsed the Vatican by sending an ambassador there. In 2015, 
Pope Francis conducted a U.S. visit where he was warmly received by millions of adoring fans. He spoke before the joint session of the U.S. Congress, the first time a religious leader was invited to address both chambers of Congress, and then invited to address the United Nations General Assembly. This is astonishing. If we think of the pilgrims that came to this country in search of religious freedom and to escape Roman Catholic persecution, they were looking for a government without a king and a church without a pope. Now we are endorsing that pope. We have an ambassador there and uh, full diplomatic rights, a religion, Christian government. Again, I just wanted to put this in there to bring your attention back to where we are. We are down in the feet, in the toes, where the four generals was divided, and now the kingdoms, they were destroyed by the Roman Catholic Church during those 1260 years. Number of people in the world, this is all makes sense in just a minute. Muslims, 1.9 billion. Hindus, 1 billion. Jews, 14.8 million. And I want to stop there and just say, that's a small group. That's less than the Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are over 20 million. Jews, only 14.8. Buddhists, 1 billion. Christians, 2.18 billion. It's quite a few people. Um, if you look at what the world's population, go back to that. If you look at what the world's population is, the difference between those numbers and what the world's population is uh, are regarded as uh, non-Christians, yeah, seven plus billion, um, non-Christians, atheists, whatever, falls in that leftover category. The point I'm trying to make here, the point I'm trying to make here, Christians, 2.18 billion. Of that 2.18 billion, half of that are Roman Catholics. Okay? Half of that. The rest are made up of Methodists, Baptists, Seventh-day Adventists, whatever. Point is, the Roman Catholic Church still has a lot of power. A lot of power. They have, in that Christian world, they have half. Who is going to fight against that power when they have political strength behind them? I want to suggest to you the King of the North is still the Roman Catholic Church. L.G. White makes a statement. I'm sorry, I had to. I had to skip through a lot of stuff here, but Ellen G. White makes a statement. It will be shown that the confrontations between the King of the North and the King of the South will continue until the passing of the National Sunday Law. When this law is passed, the real and rightful King of the North will expose his mighty power. My friends, I want to tell you, there is a religious, political power that stands out as the king of the north still. 
And I don't know that the king of the south is going to be able to defeat the king of the north. But I can tell you there's going to be a lot of pressure with the people in between. Daniel's people are in between. There's going to be a lot of pressure. I'm going to share this. My friends, I know we are going to be feeling more and more pressure because of our belief in the Bible and the true God. And I'm not here to scare you this morning by telling you that the world is coming to an end soon. But I'm telling you that the time of trouble is here. And if you look around today, you can see that. And we could talk uh, the rest of Sabbath afternoon about that. But I ask you to be prepared. Let me share some of the few reasons why I know that we're at the time of the end. God told us through his prophets that these things would happen. <clears throat> he said, the gospel has to be preached to all the world. Mark 16, 15. He said that we are, there's 195 countries in the world. When I looked this up, he said, we are in 200 countries. So I don't know. But we are in every country of the world today. And with technology being <clears throat> as it is, in every, everyone can be reached through satellite, TV, internet, radio, you name it. We are just about in every corner of the world. That <clears throat> prophecy has been fulfilled. We are in every corner of the world. Number two, technology. <clears throat> in just over 100 years, we have gone from inventing the telephone you know we have a smartphone <clears throat> that can fit in the palm of, palm of our hands. Can, that can do just about everything for us. And if it's not doing this, you ask Siri, what is? Can you do this? I even had some fun with her one time and I asked her if she would marry me. She said, I'm not the married type. <laughs> technology is everywhere. Are we using technology? Or are we allowing it to use us? <clears throat> Number three. I'm sorry. <clears throat> the environmental crisis. It is true that the environment is changing. And um, let, let, let's look at Isaiah 24, 5 and 6. I, I want to share that text. Because the prophet Isaiah told us that the environment will change. <clears throat> Isaiah 24, 5 and 6. Ah, we're going to wrap it up in about five minutes. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. <clears throat> Isaiah 24, 5 and 6. What it says, I hope you all found it. The earth is also defiled under its inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, the curse has devoured the earth, and those who dwell in it <clears throat> are desolate. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. Ah, oh, where am I? That was number three. Number three. And uh, in 2015, the Pope published a paper on environmental protection. It is referred to as a cornerstone of his pontificate. He has been instrumental in propelling climate change into a global movement as an attempt to unite the churches. And I would invite you all to study more on that. Number four, denying the second coming. People are leaving the church because they say, I've heard this for too long. 
although they were never ready to begin with, but they're leaving. <clears throat> Others are saying, we're having a more peaceful world. First Thessalonians tells us when we think there's peace and safety, there's destruction. Number five, false Christ. They say we have over 4,000 religions today, including witchcraft, New Age, Wicca, Scientology. The Bible says, take heed that no one deceives you, because many will come in my name. We need to be careful. Over 4,000 different deceptions we could have up there, and many more. Number six, people believing in the supernatural, deceiving the very elect. We see and hear things. Man, I see it and I have heard it. Who can tell me it's not true? Number seven, the last one. Lovelessness, Matthew 24, 12 talks about love of many will grow cold. Parents killing their children, children killing their parents, drive-by shootings, people having divorce because they couldn't decide which restaurant to eat at. Lovelessness, lack of love for each other. Friends, we cannot be prepared with one hand in the world and the other trying to hold on to God. I know many of us, including myself, we say, Lord, I did this and I did that and I did that for you. But then God is going to say, depart from me. I know you not. Because I'm still trying to hold on to the world. Hold on to God. It doesn't work. The time for lukewarmness is over. Seeding time is now. We keep thinking it's in the future, but it's now. And if we're not making the lifestyle changes now, it's going to be too late. Going to church for one hour a week is not going to cut it. We don't go to Sabbath school. We don't go to Bible study. Maybe we don't even give an honest tithe. We don't give an honest time. God asked for one-tenth of my income. He asked for one-seventh of my time. That's not very much. And yet we cheat on those, the time, the money. When the kingdom of the north and the south pushes, are you going to have the faith that our friends in the book of Daniel had? Are we going to be able to stand firm in our diet and on the day that we choose to worship? Or am I going to say, hey, it's not going to hurt me. I can eat this. Daniel stood firm on his diet. Am I going to say, well, I can go to church on Sunday, but on Sabbath I'm going to stay home and rest, and that's okay. It's not going to work. You know, I went to a Adventist home that I thought was a good, strong family. Went to visit them Sabbath afternoon. And there they were, watching football. I have a problem with that. I don't know if anyone else... And by the way, let me say, that family is not in this church, okay? <laughs> Just that disclaimer, that family is not in this church. I have a problem with that, you know. Where is your allegiance? I don't even record football or baseball or whatever on Sabbath because I don't want to watch people that have been working on Sabbath. So I don't even record it. These people were watching it on Sabbath afternoon. Where is your allegiance? Who are you cheering for? I said I didn't want to scare you. But like Daniel, I want to let you know that there is hope. Because after all the pushing and shoving is going on, Michael is going to stand up. 
And next week, Pastor Jim. You're preaching next week, Pastor Jim. Yes. He's going to wrap up Daniel 7. I mean, Daniel 12. When Michael will stand up. What are you putting first in your life? Daniel and his friends. Christ first. What they could do. I want to tell you just a real short story. I want to tell you just a real short story. But it had a significant meaning to me. And hope it will be to you too. There was an older gentleman <clears throat> that used to go to church regular. He was a good, solid, seven-day Adventist. But as he got older in years, he couldn't go to church as he did before. So he was at home and he invited one of his friends from church, one of the elders, to come over Sabbath afternoon and to just visit with him. We do that. I've visited many people like that. And as they chatted for a while, talked about everything, oh God had blessed. Then he said to that elder, you know, elder, I've got a confession to make. I've got a confession to make. I really don't love God as I should. And I really don't know how to. And I wonder this morning, as I said, it, it's resonated with me. And I just wondered how, if it does with anyone else, do we really love God as we should? Does it bother us that maybe I don't love God? <clears throat> but then that elder said to that old gentleman, don't worry about loving God. He sat up, he was kind of shocked. Hopefully it might have shocked some of you when I said that. Don't worry too much about loving God. He said, my friend, what, what you need to do is to stop, start thinking about how much God loves you. He said, I want to share a text with you in John 3.16. For God so loved the world, the text of reality. And then he said, I want to share another text with you in 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. When we recognize how much God loves us and how much he has done for us, doesn't it make it a lot easier to love you? Amen. When I'm dating a girl, it's been a long time, and I realize that she really loves me. Man, it makes it a lot easier. Right, Ruth? Amen. If we can see how much God loves us, and how much He's willing to do for us, because He wants to save us, regardless who the King of the North is, or who the King of the South is, I will love Him, I will serve Him, and my lifestyle will show it. God bless you all. Lord, I pray for myself and I pray for this congregation, every family that's represented here, that we will put our full trust and confidence in you. We know the devil is a roaring lion trying to devour us every day. He's going to put things in our path that seems that it's impossible. But God, we know that you can see us through the fire. You can see us through the king's persecution because you are in control. God, we want us to realize today that you have a plan. You're not working willy-nilly. If one plan doesn't work, there's another. You have a plan. The plan is that you want to save us. You have given us directions as to how we need to live. And Lord, I hope that this church today and every family represented here We'll, re and we'll realize that we are at the end of time. 
we need to make that decision now. We need to be on your side, 100%. Amen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.